All right, we're really doing it, Harry. It's our second podcast that we're launching, our first one with a guest, and we're super excited to bring you a lady that needs no introduction because she's so big in the not even just Canadian, but North American barrel horse industry. Uh, we were super excited to talk to her. She was very informative and answered a ton of questions. It was she, awesome, and she was so supportive of mm-hmm. this whole idea too, which is exciting. I think it's I think it's really going to come out with a bang. Yeah. I think so too. And we were all so nervous. I think we were all still a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, one of the first, uh, our first intro actually. Right for now. someone. Yeah. We're yeah. doing our first intro for someone right now. And yeah. hopefully all their sounds good. We'd love to hear feedback from you guys or things maybe we can talk about a little bit more. If anyone ever does have any questions that you'd like one day answered, don't hesitate to comment on a picture or send us a private message. For sure. Or even if you see us at a jackpot or a rodeo, I'm sure we'll have our little horse poor podcast logo on our shirts. Yeah. Uh, we have to get some stickers. Some patches. That'd be kind of yeah. cool. Patches would be cool. Yeah. I'm feeling quite inspired from uh, the NFR anyways. I haven't yes. been riding since the CBHI, mm-hmm. which is October. And now after seeing all that, I just have the bug again and I can't wait to get back riding, <laughs> even though the weather is not very desirable. Well, the weather's not been too bad the last couple of days. That's it's true. just been Christmas. It so has it's been. been busy. <laughs> and our problem up here is that we don't really have a he- nice big heated indoor within like mm-hmm. the half an hour to 40 minutes from us, really. I mean, well, maybe a little 45 minutes to an hour but still a bit of a haul we can't just Mm -hmm. like like well me I have one in my backyard but it's not not heated yeah (laughs) it's pretty cold (laughs) which is okay when it's like minus 15 just need two sets of insulated coveralls yeah (laughs) (laughs) or if you're like me you just go out in long johns and jeans and then you come back in and your legs are red and frozen (laughs) well I was actually thinking of maybe getting like a a heated jacket and pants. I was thinking about that too, actually. Right? I feel like yeah. it'd be a really good investment. And then it's not so bulky. Yes. I just I hate being feeling restricted when I'm riding. Mm-hmm. Oh, I gotta have my insulated coveralls. Oh, time. you're you're riding all three of yours outside all winter is kind of your thing, hey, Steph? Trying to, Tell yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have. It's. I mean, the weather. Yeah, this winter it's gotten. We've had a, a bunch of rain, like after the snow, so it got kind of icy, but. I found one patch where I kind of made a trail with a couple circles so I can work that in and I know it's not slippery. So That's good. Yeah, that's a big thing is not yeah. finding ice under the yeah. snow. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is in my house right now. I scared myself the other day. I went to go wool just from a jog and my horse's butt went right yeah. up underneath her. Like it was still really slippery underneath. So now I'm like, Ugh, how do I get her back in shape? Do I just like try to tough it out and find spaces outside somewhere or yeah there is a couple private arenas close you can call the hall to my house (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, it's still a half hour haul it is yeah yeah, it's a little bit of a haul to my house as well 20 minutes 20 around 20 minutes well Steph you were thinking of maybe boarding this year yeah I'm thinking after I had that little slip here a couple weeks ago I'm thinking of maybe boarding. We do have a couple private, uh, more English-focused barns around. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit more narrow just because that's what they use them for. So it is it is harder to, to practice the actual pattern unless we haul, yeah. you know, High Prairie or Teepee Creek mm-hmm. or something. Or Fairview, Fairview. too. Yeah, yeah, Fairview. From where I am, it's still all over an hour. Yeah, they're still places. pretty far. Um, so we kind of make do with yeah. what we have. But, I mean, you could definitely do all the drills and you can mm-hmm. go and lunge yeah. your horse or – just do a bit of something, get them moving. So yeah. I'm going to have to do that because I'm in January. That was my goal was to start riding again and getting back into it to mm-hmm. prep for the season. That's good. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. All right. Well, I guess we should announce our guests. Yeah. 
Yes, so this, uh, for our first episode, we are extremely excited to bring to you Kim Gertoski. Uh She's very well acclaimed in the barrel mm-hmm. racing world. More specifically and recently, she's really been killing it in the Futurities and yes. also in the Pro Rodeos too. She has. So we thought that she would be somebody really great to have on, somebody that we can talk to, um, be inspirational for other people, and we just knew she'd have some, mm-hmm. some great information. So yeah, um, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, Steph has highlights of her career that maybe we'll talk about before we end off. And yeah. We are so excited to bring you Kim Gertoski. Kim has far too many accomplishments to mention them all. Most recently, she's finished top 14 in the 2019 Canadian Pro Rodeo standings and top three in the Canadian Rookie standings. Not to mention top four in the WPRA World Rookie standings. In 2019, Kim also claimed the Cloverleaf Derby Championship, the CBHI Futurity Super Stakes Breeders Award, and also qualified for the Maple Leaf Circuit Finals. In 2018, Kim finished the year as the CBHI Derby Super Stakes and Open Champion. She also claimed a Futurity Championship here as well in 2018. 2017 and earlier was no different for Kim with a long list of achievements in the Canadian Futurity Derby and Rodeo world. Without further ado... Here's Kim. So, Kim, where are you at right now? Are you down in Pinoka? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in my house in Pinoka. Yep. And what, uh, so what are you doing for riding this time of year? Do you, you probably have an arena quite close to you. I live in a in a nice area where there's several private arenas. Uh, I typically try to go into the Kalmash Ag Event Center in town if it is open. Uh, the last few years, it's been booked a lot, so we actually can't get in there very much during the winter, surprisingly. Uh, so if that's the case, I either go to Galloway's Arena northwest of town or... There's a couple other small arenas close that I'll go to. You lucky people. To I know. I'm very, barn. very lucky to have uh, that Pinoca arena. But yeah. Yeah. I wish uh, that we could get in there more. Yes. Um, so how often do you find yourself riding a week in the wintertime? Like, do you keep up on the conditioning or do you give breaks? I have enough horses that I'll kind of like rotate them through. So if my older ones need a break or don't really need much right now. Uh, I get off of them and then I'll be riding like two and three year olds and four year olds. But um, I, I typically am riding year round. And how many, how many horses are you typically riding year round? It can vary between three and nine. Oh man, that's a full day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, if I have more than six, I can only haul six at a time. Okay. If I have more than six, I'll I'll rotate like a couple of them kind of out. Um, I have been trying now that I'm starting to get older. Um, I do try to uh, kind of limit myself and I'll only ride five days a week and I'll give them colts uh, two days off just mostly for myself. Yeah, that is very important to make sure that we take breaks on ourselves. Or just take care of ourselves like we yes. do with our horses. I know yes. I had never been to the chiropractor until this year, but my horse gets it every year. <laughs> yes, exactly. Year. Yeah. That seems to be a common theme with barrel racers, yeah. Teeth too? I don't know when the last time I, I don't know when the last time I went to the end is. 
<laughs> that might change a little as you get older. You might find you might have to go. Yeah. I need, yeah. Not the <laughs> I need benefits first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so does your feed program change over the winter than you do like when in the summertime? No, other than the fact that in the summertime, uh, my horses are on grass some, yeah. okay. somewhat, um, for sure. Uh, in the wintertime, of course, they're only on just hay. Mm-hmm. In the summertime, those competition horses, I do try to keep them kind of tight, making sure that they're not on too much grass. Okay. It actually kind of depends on how much moisture we kind of have. If we've had a lot of rain, there's just kind of a lot of water in the grass. And I find them horses get just a little bit kind of soggy or Hmm. almost like their cells are saturated with water just a little bit too much. So I'll, you know, tighten them up or, you know, they'll go half and half or something like that. But I, I do like my horses to get out and move around. They have very, very large pens or paddocks here and I feel that that helps with their soundness as well and their sanity yeah so Mm. that's for sure so when like when they're out on grass then do you just leave them out for a couple hours at a time or or how do you do that yeah lots of times we'll either kick them out at night on grass I mean they can come back in um on hay uh or if it's a young horse that you know, is never going to get fat. <laughs> um, racehorses tend to not put yeah. on weight quite as easily. Yeah. Uh, you know, they'll have access to both all the time. It just, okay. it just really, really depends on the, the moisture content that we have yeah. for myself. Yeah. yeah I find it's a huge difference. Like this okay. year was, was very, very wet for us here. Were you guys able to make some decent horse hay, get some off dry enough? We don't put up our own hay. I buy all my hay. Um, This year was a challenge to find any. um, I don't buy a lot of first cut, but we do have some horses that can can get by with the slightly lower protein typically. But I usually buy very expensive, um, high quality second cut hay for my horses and had to look around and wait and be very patient. And I got lucky. Yeah, we tried making hay for the first time this year. It wasn't a good year to start experimenting with that. <laughs> no. because, yeah, it didn't stop oh, raining I, here all of or July and August, I think. Yeah, I felt so bad for the hay hay farmers this year. They they had a very very rough year yeah. financially. It has been yes. tough. All right, we'll move into our next question. Um, so can you take us through, like, how you got into barrel racing, rodeoing? Did you grow up on a ranch? Like, how did you get started? Uh, I come from a second-generation rodeo family. My dad was a professional bareback rider, and he rode bulls as well. And my mom, she did a lot of events as well and in the rodeo. She roped a lot and stuff. And before I came along, she actually was a member of the WPRA and she actually rode fairback horses back in the no day way. when oh, wow. yeah, when when <laughs> ladies did that. Yeah. And so she traveled kind of all around as well. So I came uh came to it naturally and I grew up around horses and I started riding in an extremely young age and I was an example of a horse crazy girl and <laughs> that's what we did. That's awesome. I love that. That yeah. Your mom sounds so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should have her on here. Yeah. yeah. She's kind of shy. <laughs> did you uh, Did you go up through like the high school, college rodeo? 
We, uh, I amateur rodeoed quite a bit and had a lot of success. Um, I wasn't necessarily known as the best barrel racer back then. I did a lot of roping. I team roped, I breakaway roped, I goat tied, pole bended, undecorated, and I actually even rode steers for for several oh. years. <laughs> You're a well-rounded I, cowgirl. Yes, <laughs> very handy. I was actually the three-time cow riding champion of Canada. No oh, way, wow. that's awesome. We'll definitely put that in your intro. Yes. Yeah. Do you have any pictures? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. Okay, we'll need those. Yeah, that yeah. is so cool. Yeah, I did it originally to win all around at a rodeo, and then it just was like, oh, that was kind of easy, so let's just mm-hmm. do this. So I grew up riding steers with the likes of, well, my brother, BJ Cramps. He was a professional bull rider that went on to do quite well in the PBR the first handful of years that it it was information mm-hmm. and I rode with the likes of Derek Adams, Denny Golden, Alan Dossick. I grew up riding steers with all them guys. Wow, yeah, that's awesome. Actually, is Alan from up here? Yes, he's actually yeah. from Hines Creek or Worsley area. Yeah, originally. that's yep. it's oh, actually yeah. a pretty cool awesome. small world. It is very small, yep. Mm-hmm. Continued on into high school rodeo. I high school rodeoed back when there was only one district in all of Alberta, so the majority of my rodeos were 10 to 12 hours from home. Oh, so wow. we drove a long ways to go and yeah. there wasn't really any money up, just prizes mostly, but that's what got you to nationals. And uh, there were several times that we'd drive all night to get home and mom would drive right to the school and drop me off with horses <laughs> still in the trailer and I'd go to school and oh, wow. take wow. the bus back home. <laughs> yeah, definition of rodeo family and, and yes. rodeo kid. <laughs> In living in the North Country, if you're going to rodeo, you're going to make an awful lot of more miles. Um, So if anyone has followed barrel racing in the last, well, 20 to 30 years, but 10 years especially, you've had quite a few futurity standouts. And then this year, finished pretty high up there in the WPRA rankings with, um, I believe, one of your futurity derby standouts as well. Could you tell us a little bit about your current equine partners? Well, the one you're specifically referring to, his name is Elvis. He came with that name. I like his that registered name. name is SR Famous in Paradise. And I bought him out of the CBHI sale as a long yearling. And I specifically picked him out on paper three months ahead of time based solely on his pedigree. And I told everybody I was going to buy him. So I hadn't even seen him yet. And come that sale time, can't remember if that year I had my horse got hurt or if I didn't have anything to run. But my husband had made the FCA finals in Red Deer, which was the same weekend. And so I stopped in and looked at that colt that afternoon. Must have been Saturday afternoon just to make sure his legs looked okay. And I left it in my friend's hand and told him to buy him. (laughs) (laughs) I went to the rodeo to watch my husband. So did your husband know you were buying this horse or did he just show up in your field? (laughs) Well, I asked him to begin with. I'm like, hey, I want to buy this horse. You know, what do you think should be my budget or what's my my roof? And we kind of agreed on like 7,500, but he ended up selling for more. So I was on the phone (laughs) and they were saying, well, okay, it's at this, at this, at this. And I'd kind of look at him and I'd be like, yep. I just say yep. Oh, <laughs> and anyway, so it didn't go much higher, but I, I paid eighty two fifty or something for him. So okay. 
So the big oh, joke he's was made, is he's that he's made all that back. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the big joke was is that he's Devin's horse because he he allowed me to buy him. <laughs> <laughs> Does he get to ride him every now and then? Yeah, he was scared of him for several years. Um, he actually he got on him one time as a four-year-old and was standing off to the edge at Hobima in the back there during a time-only line and. Elvis thought it was his turn to go in the pen, and Devin jumped off. Said, <laughs> oh. I don't need to get on this horse for a while. <laughs> oh, boy. So he got on him. He's been on him two or three times this year. Okay. Maybe once through the winter. Yeah. That's awesome. And so was, yeah. he, was he a standout from the very beginning? Um, yeah, he was in a way, I guess. Um, he, he was very, very lazy um, as a young horse. Uh, actually, I guess I should back up. As a two-year-old, I sent him out because uh, I was kind of scared of him. This sucker um, had some moves. And when I say some moves, like he could buck. And I mean, when he bucked, he bucked oh, wow. I mean, like, hard oh, no. and with so much speed and, and power in his hind end. He was so wicked with those back legs. And I was huh. like, there's no way I'm getting on him until he's good and ready. So yeah. I sent him out. And uh, he never ended up really bucking, but uh, the fellow who was riding him, kind of had an impatient day and just with some other circumstances and ended up getting after him and Elvis took it for a little bit and then said, I don't want this anymore. And he boxed him off and broke his back. So he didn't break it. He just broke a transverse process off. So he wasn't like he was paralyzed or anything like that. But yeah, but so then I had to go get him. That was before his time was up and he was a little defensive and stuff. So I actually sent him to Jody Elliott and, Hmm. Because um, Devin was gone, that was late in the fall, his two-year-old year, and the wind's blowing up your butt and it's cold, <laughs> and I just didn't feel it was safe for me to ride him here at home the way he was. So yeah. I spoke to him to Jody and said this colt is scared. We need to kind of instill some kind kindness or like things are okay back in him. And yeah. Jody had him for a month, and I went and got him, and yeah, but he was very lazy. Like, I mean, extremely lazy, like kick all the time. Like I couldn't get him to lope a 20 foot circle for my life depended on it. So oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Stick his head in the air and stick his nose out. And if you ask him to tuck his nose, he'd refuse to move. He'd just mm. get a little defensive. So I had to be very innovative in figuring out a way to let him still be that way, but still like make some progression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he taught me a lot. And so that was as a, you started him as a two-year-old? Yeah, I started all my horses as a two-year-old. So that was in the fall of his two-year-old year. year, And then, you know, I rode him as a a three-year-old was when, you know, I kind of had to figure out how to get this horse to actually do something for me. (laughs) And And then as a four-year-old, I hauled him and I exhibitioned him a lot and stuff. And he'd run through, but was real quite lazy and stuff until... Mm. He figured out how to run, and then it was like, okay, buddy, you need to calm down, slow down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once he figured out what he was supposed to do. Is he a, a hotter horse now? No, I wouldn't call him hot, but he definitely um, he definitely likes his job, and he likes it when people watch him, and sometimes he gets too excited, like, but not in a hot way. Mm. Um, but he, he's gotten a lot better at learning to control his adrenaline this last year. Yeah, and he's... Is yeah. he seven now? He, he, yeah, he's seven. He'll be coming eight, so. Okay. Yeah. He'll be eight in 2020. And was he, um, 
how did you do in the fraternities with him? You fraternity him as a five-year-old? Yeah, as a five-year-old, yeah. Um, he actually did quite well. Um, he, in his maturity year, he, he would get kind of a little excited and kind of oftentimes miss his first barrel by a little bit, but he was still kind of fast enough to, to be in there. So his maturity year, he ended up winning the Super Stakes with the CBHI. We got lucky enough to do that. And so that kind of brought his total quite a bit higher. So he won 84000 in his maturity year. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. that is so awesome. I actually love that story. Like, cause, yeah, that doesn't yeah. always start super it doesn't, smooth. I think he, there's a lot of people that would have struggled with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, I had, to, I had to completely, I had to be very innovative mm-hmm. and learn how to be a better trainer. So was there any specific drills that you really liked to get a horse like that, to get a little bit more tucked, to get a little bit more con- like body movement and control? Um, like what did you really focus on when it came to finding that balance between you and him? Uh, with him, I had to kind of let him, if he was going to be lazy and really kind of break down and like to that trot rather than try to get after him and kind of push him forward. And then he'd feel strung out and so I'd pull on his face and, and he'd be mad, and so I just kind of had to learn how to kind of just, like, let him trickle down but still be kind of light on the front end and just reach down and pat him on the neck and tell him that he was great, mm-hmm. even though, you know, it was kind of, like, borderline mm-hmm. or below. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he, he was a boy, definitely all gelding, so sometimes you just got to tell them things that aren't true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh... Do you find a difference um, in how quickly um, horses advance, like mares versus geldings? Um, I do find, in general, that mares will catch on quicker, uh, and they'll be like, oh, okay, that's what you want me to do, and then they'll just kind of do it. But then they might start doing it, like, without you kind of, like, telling or guiding them because they think they know. They mm-hmm. got it. And where, Yeah, whereas a gelding takes more repetition because they're like, huh? <laughs> Yeah. Right. I think it's kind of just like little boys and girls in kindergarten. Yeah. And is he, uh, Elvis is the one uh, that you primarily rodeoed on this summer? Yeah. I actually usually sell all my horses. Uh, The only reason why I still have this gelding is because he's Devin's, right? Oh. Devin has wanted for several years, he's wanted me to keep a horse. So I could go to some rodeos with him. Uh, when I married Devin, he wasn't a cowboy. He actually didn't even know how to put a halter on a horse. Really? Oh, wow. and, so you trained yeah. him up? <laughs> well, I didn't really necessarily need him to ride horses, but um, he decided that that was maybe something he should try. So he struggled with it for quite a while, and he had to work really hard at it. And once we made some changes in our lives and he was able to spend some more time on a horse, he got a lot better. But... So since he's become a calf roper and mm. he's wanted to rodeo, I have had zero desire to rodeo. But <laughs> so I mm-hmm. just like training these young horses. I really enjoy it. But he once wanted me to go with him a little bit so we could spend some more time together because he works away from home all winter. And so that is why I still have Elvis. <laughs> oh, it worked out really good. You guys, it looks like you had a, a phenomenal season. Yeah, it was okay. It was my rookie year, actually. I've never actually had my pro card before. Hmm. Some people find that hard to believe, but I always just amateur rodeoed, and I 
I rodeoed so hard when I was young that uh, I kind of felt like I was been there, done that. I mean, I, I liked it. It was great, but I just, I liked training these young horses better. So a new challenge I, uh, had never bought my pro card before. So it was my husband who <laughs> made me do it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. What was your, uh, what was your favorite rodeo this year? My favorite rodeo this year? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the rodeos I went to down in the U.S. were, were really neat. Uh, they're so patriotic down there. And um, like you can go to a small town out in the middle of nowhere and you can't find a seat anywhere there. And that atmosphere is just, just really neat. So that was, those were neat experiences that I'm glad that we chose to go and do. Um, up here, uh, Armstrong's always a really good one. They have the same kind of atmosphere. You know, so many town people come and there's so many fans. It's just really great. And yeah. And then That's of course, Panoka. Yeah. It's my hometown yes. rodeo. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that was my first time running there. And he managed to, to do well in the first round. And so that was exciting. Yeah. That one would be, would be a fun one. Yeah, definitely. How far did you guys venture into the States for rodeos? Um, we were kind of silly. So, um, we did a lot of driving this year, um, <laughs> and didn't sleep very much. <laughs> and it's not necessarily that we were rodeo and like hard per se. What the trouble was, was going back and forth from Canada to the U S yeah. if we had just stayed in Canada, that, that would have been fine. But we just, we just decided as a, as a couple that we wanted to go do this just, just for something to do together. Um, just to kind of go experience it. So, um, we went to like Ogden, Utah, um, beautiful country uh, down there. It looks like Utah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of down in my old, uh, college rodeo, rodeo grounds. Oh, um, yeah. where else we went? We went, we went to a bunch of Montana ones. Um, gosh, I can't even think I didn't end up going into Washington or Oregon, just the way that things worked out. Like I had to make sure that I, was able to get to like every Canadian rodeo that I could, right? Because that was that was the foremost thing, right? So we only entered what we could fit in. I had to turn out of like one or two that we didn't get our set up that, and I skipped one Canadian rodeo, missed entries at one. Yeah. So. Yes, I don't know too much about entering pro rodeos, but when you listen to some of the podcasts and stuff down there, they say the the entering is the tough part. <laughs> Yeah, what I found extremely tough for um, ourselves this year is uh, I took care of all the entering because I had something invested in it, and my husband can sometimes be forgetful, and I wasn't going to trust him. So, <laughs> um, so I did all the entering. Um, entering up here was was okay; wasn't as bad. It was when we went into the U.S. because often at some of these rodeos, we we only entered like bigger rodeos, so they either had to have like seven over 5,000 and up added to them. So oftentimes the boys flack would be a different day than the girls flack or, uh, you know, the boys would have two head and the girls would only be one. So it was really, really difficult because sometimes it's hard to even find out those details because they won't even know for sure how the rodeo is going to run. They say, right. But that was extremely stressful for me. Yeah. Just because we're entering to get, we have to enter together. Well, we could have entered separately, but then like, you know, I can't be there on Thursday and he'd be there on the following Tuesday. Like, it's just not going to work. Totally. So getting your horses across the border, was that a lot of prep to make sure everything was good to go there and back or going to different states? Like, 
what did you really have to prepare for to go to those U.S. rodeos? It's not necessarily hard, but you do have to know uh, what, what the requirements are. So the best thing to do is kind of talk to somebody who's done it a fair bit so because it's easy to get confused. But you have to have a current Coggins test, and that's a blood test. And, but that's good for six months. And then you have to have a uh, current international health paper, which can be a bit more of a pain in the butt because it's got to be sent to the federal vet up here to sign and get back to you. So sometimes that takes just, you know, a few days or something to get it back. Um, and then uh, the important part is once you like get down there is the VS outbreaks that they had this year. Cause if you, drove through a VS state or were in one when the breakout happened, they won't let your horses back into Canada. So you have to be paying attention. That would be like, so would you just avoid those states kind of thing and have to like drive around? Okay. Yeah, we had actually, um, we actually almost got in trouble. We had gone to Greeley, Colorado, and uh, we had several names of towns on our health papers and, um, because we, we were going so many places in that like three and a half weeks because your health paper is only good for a month. And uh, we were there on July 2nd, and I think they closed the state on the 3rd. Now, we were already out of there, but, I mean, they could have they stopped us and quarantined our horses or not let us back into mm. Canada if they'd actually caught that on paper. Wow. Even though, <clears throat> yeah. So in this fall, there was several states that were like Wyoming and Utah and, um, they were, there was like two other ones that, that had that restriction. And so I know there were some girls that went down to some midsummer fraternities in Utah and whatnot and had to leave their horses down there. They couldn't, they couldn't get them back into Canada. Wow. So, yeah. So you do have to, you do have to have your ducks in a row a little bit. Yeah. They're very strict there. Um, did you want to touch on famous playboy? I know that was a stallion that you guys did own, but he's been producing some awesome, awesome offspring. Um, and I'm just wondering if you can tell us a little bit about him, maybe how you acquired him and uh, this his story. Sure. Well, I had bought a mare from Peggy Stojan as a three-year-old, gosh, back in like, I don't even know what year, but a long time ago. And I, she was by Millionaire Playboy out of a Lane's Leinster or Leinster house daughter and Rocket Wrangler was right there. So the pedigree was a was a quite a nice pedigree if you look at it on paper and I bought her and I rode her and trained her um, and I actually took her to I think one fraternity but she was super green she hardly had any time on barrels and uh, she just ended up kind of being a nice mare in a lot of ways she had a little bit of cow sense to her and whatnot and she ended up hurting a hawk as a five-year-old and so we decided my husband and I that we would breed her and she she did have, you know, every horse has their weaknesses or whatnot. And so we agreed that, you know, if the first baby came out and there was something we didn't like about it, that we wouldn't breed her anymore. So first baby comes along and he seemed fine or whatever. And we had picked out a Solano's uh, Pepe, Pepe San front horse, or uh, son from Jake and Diane Knobloch. That was her first baby. And then I bred her to Borrow Top Sail, owned by, uh, at the time, Kenny and Paula McLean, and that horse was the sire of a horse that Tara Muldoon went to the CFR on before Revy came along, and uh, 
fast forward a few years, I picked out a few more studs, had a few more babies, and fast forward, and those first two babies, I won the Canadian Futurity High Point barrel racing title on them. Uh, so her her first two babies had done very well. Yeah. And um, my husband said, you know what? Why don't we pick out something really, really good to breed her to? And he picked Dash to fame, and he had to talk me into it two times. I said no twice, and finally I said yes, and, and we bred her to Dash to fame, and and then she had what we call famous Playboy. So um, he actually ended up getting hurt as a weanling. He severed an extensor tendon on a hind leg, so we had never even considered having a stallion ever. But um, he'd almost cut his leg off, and I didn't believe the vets that he would be sound. We went ahead and did yeah. surgery just because of the amount of money we had in him already. Yeah. And so he kept his nuts for that reason. So <laughs> wow. and he ended up being sound and I ended up riding him and training him a little bit and hauling him some and whatnot. And yeah. And so when we decided to keep him, it's like, oh, well, we should buy a few mares. So I spent one winter, I picked out uh, pedigrees that I felt would uh, complement him. Yeah. Um, and uh, those were the babies that you're seeing now. So this mm. was his first full crop okay. that was this year. Yeah, that it's the barrel pen. So yeah, yeah, and they did they did very well at the CBHI. Yeah, he had a very good year. Mm-hmm. That's so exciting. Do you find mm-hmm. um, I like I noticed the one one mare that she was um, cowbred. Like her her dam yes. was was cowbred, and then you uh, cross that mare on famous playboy, or maybe somebody else did. Do you, do you like that cross of a little bit of cow worked in there on the bottom side versus top or any preference there? I don't know if I necessarily have a preference for like whether it is on the top or the bottom per se. I personally am very big on making sure that the, the dam is good mm-hmm. for some reason. I don't know. I just think that um, mare power is, is very important. I'm, I'm very particular on pedigrees. So, yeah, yeah I, I do a lot of reading and I try to pay attention to what's doing good, what's not doing good. I ask lots of questions when I go ride with other people or I'm just always curious about the tendencies of certain breeds or, you know, lineages and stuff. Awesome. Can you tell us about the the black mare? I believe you were riding her at the CBHI this year, right? Um, yeah. I actually, uh, I own her mother still. Her mother's name is Sissy B. Bug. She's a known daughter of Shawnee Bug. And Sissy B. Bug is a three-quarter sister to um, the, uh, Shawnee Promise, who was the, the mother to Rael, uh, now Little's, last fraternity standout and CFR qualifier. He qualified for the CFR as a, as a five-year-old, and, and he won like nine of 11 fraternities or seven of nine or something, but... Um, I had actually, I lost the, the mother to, to famous playboy and I had just put some semen in her from PC Frenchman's heyday and we had to put her down to call it. So I had Mm. this breeding that I needed to do something with, but I had no mare. Well, I looked for like six months and I couldn't find a mare on paper that I liked. So off I go to the BFA and it's the last day before I had leave to come home and I just happened to stop at the business computer at the hotel downstairs. This was before cell phones, really. And uh, <laughs> or before the, we had data on our cell phones much. 
And uh, I went on Barrel Horse World, and she popped up on, like, the most recent ads. She was, like, the second horse there, and I look, because she's white and she's beautiful. And I'm like, huh. And then I look at the pedigree, and I'm like, oh, dang. And I'm like, huh. So it was still early enough. I called Rael, and I talked to her for a little bit. And then uh, too late to call my husband because he gets up so early for work because he was up here in Canada. And uh, I loaded up my horses in the morning, and I started driving just in case. And I got about half an hour north of Oklahoma City, and called my husband and I said uh, that I think I should go look at this mare um, but I'll have to you know I'll, I'll be at least an extra day or whatever so he's like yeah sure go ahead so <laughs> I called it up went and looked at her she was only 20 minutes from Oklahoma City turns out the son of the owner was a vet so he pulled blood I ran it to the federal lab they tested it I drove over and got my international health papers and I left the next morning with her on board oh wow yeah, she had in her tummy, she had a baby, so I let Hank do it, and that was the buckskin mare that I won mm. a decent amount on a couple of years ago. So anyways, that is the same mother to this black filly that I ran at the CBHI. Okay. And, yeah. I remember I remember seeing you guys, and she looked very gritty. <laughs> yes, I got a lot of compliments on her, yeah. She, mm-hmm. was, she, was, she was a very cool mare, yeah. Yep. I, I don't own her. Um, I had actually sold her earlier in the year. Um, but I had just finished out her for Trudy year for the lady, and yeah, she's off to her new home. Cool. So, kind of going back to the vet, um, when you purchase a new horse or uh, get something looked at, what do you really avoid, and what is something that is workable? Uh, on a vet check, I'm always buying uh, fairly young horses, so there's generally not, you know, like. You know, if there's maintenance issues on a young horse, I, I'm definitely, it's, it's more of a red flag for me typically. Um, but um, I, I sell a lot of horses, so I go through a lot of vet checks as well on that end. And, uh, I mean, it, it's individual for everybody what they're willing to work with. It, a lot of it has to do with, like, what type of experience the horse has had. Like, what have they physically been through or what do you as a potential buyer physically want them to be able to handle, right? So. Of course, there's always unforeseen future circumstances, but um, I just always like a, you know, a good kind of all-around vet check, um, you know, flex everywhere and whatever, and then from there, just go um, on an individual basis, whether you want x-rays or something else or, you know, what, what kind of happens with that. So any piece of advice I have for anybody who's looking at a horse is do your homework. Make some phone calls. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the there's good dealings and bad dealings. And I mean, there are some unfortunate or bad timing stuff as well, but you need to get on the phone and uh, call people. You don't even know that, that know this horse or, mm-hmm. you know, totally. a friend, do you know anybody that knows this horse or like that? That's, that's huge. Definitely yeah. doing yeah. your homework. That's for sure. Do your homework. Yep. So talking about like young horses, what are your up and comers that you're really excited about right now? Um, I actually do not have a fraternity horse for next year. This is going to be like the first time in like, I don't know how long. And it feels very funny and I'm a little bit lost about it. But <laughs> I oh, sold my two four-year-olds this year. I sold them because we literally were not home hardly at all between, well, when I got home from Texas this spring to uh, middle of September, I was not home. So none of my colts were getting rode. And I just felt that my, I took my four-year-olds to Texas for the winter and, and they were doing great come, 
come springtime when I got home, but because they sat here, I just didn't feel that I could catch them up through the winter and expose them to enough for them to be ready enough for the, what I wanted them to be. So I chose to sold, sell them and catch up on my two and three-year-olds. So I have two coming four-year-olds. Uh, I have a full brother to the black filling that we've been talking about. And I have a, another one out of Famous Playboy out of a Meridoc Mare. Yeah. Nice. That'll be mm-hmm. a really cool mix. Yeah, I think uh, I'm probably only going to keep one of them because if I rodeo this year or this coming year again, I think I'll only consistently be able to haul one other one with me because my husband has to take up the other two holes in the trailer. So uh, I'm going to have to let one of them go, I think. But yeah, and then I have two two-year-olds. I have a beautiful yellow filly out of Famous Playboy and out of an own daughter, Sunfrost. Cool. And mm-hmm. I'm excited about her. She actually rides very nice. She's a big girl, but she you can't really kind of tell when you're riding her. And I have a two-year-old Slick by Design Colt that I brought home from Texas. Ooh, that looks nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then I do have, well, I bought another one. So I have three yearlings, so three coming, they'll be coming two in the spring. And uh, one is another full sibling to the black filly. And then I have a guy's keeping the fame filly. Oh, cool. And I also have an SR Mr. Firewater gelding. Oh, oh, so you've got, lot, you've you've got, got lots before. coming up. Yeah. Going I'm out. down about 10 heads, so this isn't oh. too bad. So. <laughs> and then I've got two babies, so they'll be coming yearlings. And I've got a full blood sister to Elvis. Okay. And I also, what is my other one? Oh, and then I have a full sibling to the Philly by play, famous playboy that won the Super Six this fall. Okay. Oh, wow. Sweet. Yeah. So I know where to come horse shopping when I eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, while we're on that subject of learning, can you tell us a bit about your horsemanship program and kind of the the program you follow? Like what I do with the timeline on my colt to get them ready to fit yeah. training, you mean? Um, I prefer to start them at, as two-year-olds, at least a little bit. Um, with my schedule, I typically don't have them started early in the year. I typically wait till like midsummer or kind of early fall. Okay. Uh, I just like them to get tired a couple times as a two year old and have to learn <laughs> to go through like, you know, oh, I'm standing over here by myself or I have to do this, like okay. rather than you just go out there and then like, you know, walk all over you or bite you or whatever. Right. So, yeah. um, I-, I like to have a relationship with that horse so I oftentimes like to get them as yearlings yeah um just so that you know they can interact with me and they understand that I'm a safe place before we ever start that process I, I think that's okay that's kind of big um for me and then uh I'll, I'll generally kind of start them as that, that two-year-old and uh if we have time ourselves if my husband's around to help me we we will do it ourselves uh otherwise I have in the past sent them out I, I lately have only been sending them out uh, for like a couple of weeks I get them ready I saddle them drive them I, I play the games with them um, they're they're ponied like they're ba- basically ready to get on and go I just like somebody to take the duck and the dive and the suck back out of them yeah. <laughs> and then and then I don't mind getting on them and like teaching them to kind of steer or do other things. So, so that's what I've been doing lately. So, so most of the work is, is done by myself. Yeah. And then I'll, uh, 
I'll kind of let them be a little bit and then I'll, I'll ride them through the winter. And then they kind of just get rode sporadically through the year as a three-year-old, just kind of whenever I have time or if I have to shuffle them, depending on how many I'm riding. Mm-hmm. And then come that fall as a three-year-old, I'll ride them through the winter. Um, and as a coming four-year-old, if I had South, they go with me. Okay. And then they get hauled around and whatever. And uh, my goal is to always have them like exhibitioning as a four-year-old. Okay. You know, and it just depends on where they're at and how yeah. much speed they're getting. I like to haul them. I like mine to see the sights and the sounds and have to work through some stuff. So that come maturity year, I don't, I don't have them ups and downs to deal with. So mm-hmm. that's just a personal preference. So, and I, I'm, I have those opportunities that that I'm lucky enough to, to get that done. Yeah, for sure. So like when you're exhibitioning them, um, when do you, do you start bringing them when they're loping the pattern or do you like to have them kind of cruising before you start that? Um, I like to have them. Um, I guess it depends. Most of the time I like to have had them where I'm asking them for something at home, like, you know, to go faster than they kind of go on their own. Uh, I, I like them to, to go through that at home a little bit and work out a few kinks because if they're distracted at home, you can only imagine what they're going to be just yeah. like when you take them somewhere else. So, I mean, they're always scared and unsure, you know, when they kind of first start going, you know, but I usually try to prepare them as best I can for the experience that I'm going to give them so that, um, you know, they'll have to work through stuff, but I don't want to create any problems. Um, or if I have to come back and fix something, then they're not ready for it. Mm-hmm. But if they're the same at home, they're just, you know, unsure somewhere else that kind of my cue that they're, they're ready to yeah. keep doing that. That's where I feel I'm at, I'm at right now is like, we have perfect runs at home, but as soon as we take, go to a jackpot, it's like, I'm getting bucked off or we're not finishing second barrel. <laughs> well, I've got news for you. You are not alone. Yes. <laughs> and that's, that's why I'm like excited to start talking about that at the podcast, like with the podcast. Cause when you go on Facebook, you just see people's perfect yeah. runs and you see like all right. the perfect and all the nice things, but you don't see the other stuff. And me, I have no problem sharing it. Yeah. <laughs> I have some really <laughs> funny things on my social media well I will tell you this now people don't post their bad runs on Facebook so it's not that because they you know want to hide them or that they don't have them because everybody has bad runs Mm -hmm. um it's just you know why would you just don't really want everybody you know 54,000 people watching your bad run right for sure everybody has them right So, so don't feel like you're alone and that's that's a very very common problem and that'd probably be a great podcast to chat with some people and give some people some comfort and for sure awesome yeah yeah. um so how do you tell if a horse has the winning edge well I've been I've been blessed with some a lot of nice horses um lately um it's taken a long time uh, to kind of build up the knowledge or I guess wisdom to kind of go with that so um and of course, there's a pocketbook that comes with that as well. So I always tell people when they ask about, you know, when they send me papers or this or that, you know, I, I tell them just spend as much as you can. You have no idea how another like 500 or $1,000 sometimes can make a difference in, in the quality of a prospect. And I don't, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that every horse that you have to spend more money for is better. But as I've 
we, my, I've gotten more financially stable over the years. I've just bought better and better horses. And so that's always a great place to start. Um, cause you can only get out of a horse with what God gave them to give, regardless of how good you are. Mm-hmm. So, um, sometimes it's hard to tell along the way how good they're going to be. So you either ride the papers or if that's your horse, that's your horse. And I find as I get older, you just kind of learn what you like or what you don't like or what you're willing to like wait for. Um, so that's kind of all an individual thing. Totally. Okay. Um, so would you be able to tell us a bit about like adjusting your riding for different styles of horses that you have in training? Sure. All different types of pedigrees can be, can be different, right? So, I mean, some people love the cow horse thing, Mm -hmm. you know, some people like a mix and some people like just the racehorses. And often times I find that that comes back to like what they know or what they have experience with. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were involved with the racetrack or you galloped racehorses when you were a teenager for money, you know, that's probably what you're going to end up riding throughout your life. You know, whereas if you grew up, you know, or you were a cutter in high school, you know, you're going to kind of lean towards that because that's what you know and that's what you're comfortable with. So that's why I said uh, my, my stud, famous playboy, he had, he had taught me a lot just about like how to handle that, you know, he, you know, cause, cause it's a lot different, right? Not mm-hmm. that I rode cow horses before, but it's just, some of them are, are just a different, complete different ball game. Right. Yeah. So, you know, they just make it kind of better that way. So to adjust for it, you typically have to kind of learn a horse. And mm-hmm. I always tell people like when you're looking at going and buying a horse, whether it be a finished horse or horse, to jackpot, or, you know, even a two-year-old prospect, you know, I think it's smart to evaluate your style or what you're comfortable with or what you're willing to learn to grow, Mm -hmm. right? And to actually like realize what your skill level is. Yeah. You you know, and and oftentimes lots of people don't know a pedigree, like let's say a particular line is like known to be a little hard headed or really hot and, you you know, and and they didn't know that and they bought it, right? And then it's either a wreck or they're frustrated and then they're stuck with it for the next four or five years and they don't really enjoy themselves as much. Barrel racing isn't quite as fun, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, but you, you do have to adjust for different riding styles. The two horses I ran this year were very different styles. I mean, I didn't necessarily train them different, but I had to definitely be paying attention to who I was stepping into the stirrup of. Yeah. And, and really kind of focus because they were so different. So that that's a mental mental strength thing that you have to work okay. on. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so how do you know when it's, like, if you're having trouble with the horse, when it, it's time, like, to either find help or maybe you just don't click with that horse and maybe it's time to let them go on to someone else? If... I mean, I see lots of, I see people who are even working their horses that kind of going through this or like, you know, yeah. if you're around the same kind of people who are riding, you know, in your area all the time or whatever, and you see them struggling and, yeah. and stuff and certain horses are more difficult type of horses. Um, and, and they're not, they're not a, horse training is not easy regardless. I mean, very few of them are easy. There's yeah. always something along the way, right? But sometimes you either got to think out of the box or like maybe ask somebody like, mm-hmm. you know, should I try a different bit or, you know, maybe you need to change your feed program. Um, just any little bit to try to help you, right? Because yeah. if it's not working, 
something has to drastically change yeah. for it to work. So what what piece of the puzzle might you consider changing, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. I have a little bit of like a personal question here. Like I've, I've already mentioned like I'm having some problems with my mare, but um, sometimes people tell me like throw a bigger bit in her mouth, like really get her, like listening to that bit. Boyfriend's like, if you put a bigger bit in her mouth, I'm going to be so mad at you. Like bring her back down to a snaffle. And that's all I'm kind of riding her in right now is getting her nice and soft and using her body in that snaffle. So are like, what, um, what would you say for like bit wise, if you have a horse that's having problems, would you rather break them down? Or are you kind of just saying like, Kate, like you're going to listen to me and you're going to listen to me right now? Well, there's two sides to, to that question. I feel, um, for one, um, I have grown a great deal as a as a horse trainer in regards to bits. I mean, kind of the adage that people say is like, you know, every horse trainer probably has 80 bits if they use six. And I do think that's true. And over my um, the last couple decades, I've gone through a bit progression where my six favorite bits like change along the way mm-hmm. as my horsemanship got better. And I went through, actually, when I first started doing quite well on, on the group of horses I had, I did go through like a Clinton Anderson stage where I did the, the snaffle thing or whatever mm-hmm. and the, you know, the flexing and then this and that and I broke it down. And, and what I actually done that winter is I uh, said, I made myself a promise. I'd watched his DVDs, the ones with Sherry Servey there. And uh, I had five head of horses and I said, you know what, I'm going to try this. I said, I am not getting on those horses until I can do those seven games on the ground. Mm-hmm. Good. Do you know how long it took me? <laughs> it took me like six weeks. Five oh. or six weeks. It took me that long. I, did, I didn't think it would take that long. I thought, yeah. you know, a week, 10 days, maybe two weeks. Well, yeah. they drug me from one end of the arena <laughs> to the other. Oh, man. And it, it just, yeah, there were, yeah. They make it look really easy in the DVDs, but it's Thank not. You. <laughs> it is not easy. I know. I watch nope. these YouTube videos all the time. And yeah, no, they, it's like, oh, this horse is so nice. Like, why doesn't my horse look like that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I will say there's a difference in horses too. And this is kind of a little bit of the second part of that. Um, different horses have different types of mouths. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what I feel that a lot of people that don't have a whole bunch of experience or are just reading things on you know, the internet or Facebook, you know, and haven't, haven't kind of been out enough and gone like, you know, to these really big barrel races or like gone and rode with somebody that rides 15 colts a day or has like, you know, 44 horses in training just to see what they kind of go through or what equipment they use or little tricks and tools and stuff that they use for horses. Like, you know, you're talking about there. Um, you know, if there's, if I feel there's steps broken backwards, I'll, I'll take that horse back um, but if, if a particular horse is just super pushy or, or has that type of mouth, that's just kind of a little bit funny. I'm not scared to put, um, something bigger in them. I won't necessarily take them back to a snaffle okay. and I'll tell you why, because in my experience, even going through the Clinton Anderson things and stuff, horses dream of us not pulling on their face mm-hmm. at night. And so anything I can do that I don't have to pull as much to get what I want out of my horse, I feel the happier they are and the less sore their mouths are. So if they need this particular bit to have some respect because I want my horse to respect that bit but not fear it, I'll put whatever in there makes them understand things easier without a fight. Yeah. 
I think that's I, I think really that's like the direction that I and I gotta go to because yeah, she's like so many yeah. people just want to fight. Yeah, your horse doesn't want to fight. Yeah, yeah, she she does want to fight. Like when I go around second barrel, if there's any pressure on that outside rein, she's like, mm, yeah, no, sorry, I'm running home. Like she'll do a full right. blown runaway, and so. It's like we're doing really great things in a snaffle, but I think I have to go in that direction where it's like, hey, you got to listen to me because you're you're past that stage. Like we're past that. Right. Yeah. Now sometimes there's things going on where the cues you're giving you, you know, a person is giving a horse, mm-hmm. they maybe they don't quite understand. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or there might be things that you can tweak in your communication. But totally. essentially, it's kind of like this: if you have a really pushy horse or whatever, are you going to put like a great big wide bronc halter? fancy on the front on their nose are you going to put a rope halter on and maybe one that has not so that you know you don't you know it's the same thing with bits like I said you put something in them that they don't fear Mm -hmm. but that they will respect and I do find that horses or I find the most success um like a horse will make a progression and and they'll let me know as soon as they start kind of like leaning on a bit or starting to learn to take advantage of it I'll move to something else yeah because they've obviously figured it or outgrown it, right? Because like I said, I don't want to have to fight. I know my horse is broke. He knows these signals. So if he's just getting dull on that bit, I'm just going to move to something else. And, and life is great other than me fighting with him in that yeah. same bit to make him yeah. be the way he was. I just, that's been huge in my success. Mm-hmm. Huge. Yeah. So you and wouldn't necess- hard way. You wouldn't necessarily go to something bigger. You just kind of change it up to something else. Yeah, like when I, when when you say bigger, um, or more it's not like great, guess, great big long shanks or yeah. whatever. You have to understand, like some horses, just the way God puts them together, they understand, you know, a shank bit better. Or mm-hmm. some horses, like like gag, you know, because they're so light. Yeah. Um, I just think people are sometimes a little bit too narrow in what they want their horse to need for a bit and it's hard to know because there's so many right Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. Jane Melby I rode with her once and she opened my eyes a lot and it was my stud because he had gotten so strong I mean you know them studs they get their necks get so big and they're just physically so much stronger Mm -hmm. than riding any like a mare or a gelding just that's just the way it is it's like riding a bull versus a steer or a cow (laughs) right Um, so, I mean, I just needed to kind of feel like I was like somewhat had a say while I was on his back, like at speed, Mm -hmm. I'm talking, right? So, I mean, they ride around fine, but at speed, right? Yes. So, um, she was huge in kind of just opening my mind, um, to picking something suitable. So, yeah. That's, that's so much good information. I'm really excited to start taking that and putting that to my riding as well. Um, Yeah. And always ask questions. Yeah. And I always tell girls, like the people in the feedback you're getting, you know, from, from people like try to ask people that win a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or have yeah. experience riding a lot of horses, you mm-hmm. know, like, yeah. so. yes. Sure. Um, yeah. So what is something that you would like put together as like the perfect prospect? My number one thing is pedigree. So, mm-hmm. um, I just, I want to know their tendencies, their behavioral traits. Like I want to know what their mom did, what their grandma did. Like I just, I want to know all of that. Right. So, mm-hmm. cause DNA is reciprocated mm-hmm. typically. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, that's my number one thing. Uh, I really liked it. There was those, uh, little NFR question things that they always do every fall. And I think it was last year, somebody had asked Brittany Posey and whoever done these interviews at the time was kind of neat because they asked one question that was like way off the rocker. That wouldn't be one that you typically ask. 
but I just thought it was interesting that Brittany, they said, well, what, um, same kind of thing, like confirmation wise, like what's a no, no for you. And her big thing was, she's like, you know what? Nobody would have picked out Duke. Um, Mm-hmm. Because, you know, his head was like, you know, huge and long and he's just not very pretty and he's kind of big and this and that. And she said, I've seen way more horses, you know, win that nobody would buy by looking at them. Mm-hmm. But they had the heart and, yeah. and the try to kind of go with it. So, so, I mean, there are definitely some things confirmation wise that longevity wise, you know, are kind of like, eh, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, I mean, I could pray that I'm that lucky, but you (laughs) know, you got to kind of look at the odds, right? So yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So what are your 2020 barrel racing plans? Well, as long as Elvis stays healthy, um, uh, we're going to try to rodeo again. Yeah. And, uh, uh, if that is to change or whatever, I'll just have to come back home and I might have to buy a few more horses to ride. (laughs) Oh, shucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Kim also said she was ever so generously be going to uh, supply us with some Equipulman for a giveaway on the podcast. So I'm just wondering if you want to tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Equipulman came into my life, uh, I think it was like a good handful of years ago. What happened was my husband actually had a rope horse that had kind of slight allergies. Uh, it seems when the poplar fuzz would be bad in the spring or you know, the thistle fuzz, the dandelion fuzz, you know, he'd cough maybe once or two, you know, getting out of the trailer and he'd just have a little bit of kind of like white exudate in his nose. And so I actually called up Nancy Chabai because I had seen that she was using Equipulman and I quizzed her about it because I'm a science girl. So I wanted <laughs> to know why and what and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I decided to try some. And it ended up being kind of like rocket fuel for that little horse. Mm. He absolutely uh, loved it, which most horses do, but he did very well on it. So um, I just kind of started using it a little bit myself, and uh, I just kind of, out of the blue, contacted the the guy that uh, makes it because my source that I was buying it from, I just was having trouble coordinating details or getting hold of her, and I just said, hey, like I think you have a great product. Um, you know, I think you could sell a lot more of it. I just people can't find it, so mm-hmm. I'd like yeah. to sell it for you. And so he's like, oh, okay, sure. So uh, Ken Kanakin and myself have had a business relationship for the last several years. And yeah, I, for some reason, he wants me to be the only dealer in Alberta. So okay. I'm okay by that. So, yeah, but, that's uh, really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's an all natural respiratory um, support product. So it's a syrup. And uh, if you read the label on it, it's actually a very nice label. And uh, you just uh, give it daily. Uh, either 30 to 60 minutes before you ride or run that day and uh, it helps with your horse's respiratory system with like allergies or mucus Um, there's you know so many horses that you know are just slightly sensitive that you know cough a few times or you know just need that little bit of extra help and uh, if they have a problem uh, you give it to them daily and I have some horses that don't have any respiratory problems but are still competing and every single one of my horses gets it before they run because I just think it's a safety measure and mm-hmm. good would for them. And Would you say it's like a, because it helps with the respiratory system and whatnot, would you say it's a good preventative for bleeding? 
Um, I think it's definitely a good preventative for some horses, for sure. I mean, it's it's not going to keep a horse from bleeding, in my Mm -hmm. opinion, um, but it's a great support product for a bleeder because typically every bleeder either has allergies or some scar tissue or lung damage, so they're dealing with inflammation. Um, But, yes, that's one reason why I do use it is I just think it's a good preventative to kind of keep their, their upper respiratory tract healthy. I think it's a competitive edge. I, I really do. Um, it's very popular. I mean, horses love the taste of it and I have tons and tons of happy customers. So that's yeah. awesome. It sounds like an amazing product and I'm excited. Yeah. I'm probably going to cash in some of that. <laughs> <laughs> you sold me on that. <laughs> so, um, for bleeders, do you still give that daily as well or just if they have allergies? Um, you, you can, everybody tends to, to, to use it like kind of on an individual basis, like based on whether their pocketbook can handle it or, you know, what problems their horses are having. Um, I lots of times will treat based on the environment. Like, you know, if it's super hot, you know, give it to my horse in the morning, you know, and before they run or if it's super dusty or if they're in a barn with poor ventilation or, you know, there's just a lot of factors that can kind of go into to deciding how you're going to use it. Okay. And so. then and then the ones that are having allergies and you give it daily, do you just give it the days you ride or every day regardless? No, like my Futurity horse last year actually ha- has pretty decent allergies. Um, he's by far my worst one, and, and he got it every single day. Okay. All, all, well, starting in February right through till end of October. Okay. Yep. That's awesome. Um, so yeah. we kind of wanted to wrap up every podcast with a lighthearted, funny memory or story, maybe something a embar- little embarrassing or something a little funny that happened down the rodeo or jackpot road. Uh, so yeah, if you have some kind of story we would like to hear <laughs> and have a little laugh at the end. Oh gosh. Well. <laughs> Put you on the spot. I mean, yeah. every, I didn't have time to think about this. Um, well, everybody falls off. I actually fell off of my stud, famous playboy at, I think. I think it was just a jackpot oh. <laughs> in Pinoca, actually, yeah, because he runs to the left, and he come across going straight into the grandstand there, and he kind of gave me a little urch, oh. and I got quite a bit of air, and I was just coming down, <laughs> he gave another urch, and he set me back up, and then he just turned the barrel like he was at the NFR, and I oh, just wow. kind of went like straight down, because he just oh. left from underneath me. I didn't oh. even have a chance, oh, so. Oh, no, are you and okay? Then, Oh, yeah. No, because I kind of just, like, went straight down. Oh, and then I'm worried because he's a stud, and he is not going to behave very well. Um, So, luckily, my husband was there, and my friends were paying attention in the back. So, they started yelling, and they got the gates closed, so he was just just in the arena. Well, he proceeded to keep running around the arena, like, full tilt, (laughs) and ran, like, on the other side of the tractor, right against the wall there, up in the, the corner, and he made like four or five laps and there's people running around there trying to like stop him and waving their arms and yelling at him. And I'm like, he's got earplugs in. He can't hear you. <laughs> that's and the thing with find- stud. Yeah, you got to be. <sighs> yeah. 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 That was always my fear. Yeah. So he finally stopped kind of up my the, the end of the fifth lap or whatever. He kind of was playing out by then. Pretty sure everybody else remembers that too. That seems <laughs> that's that's a pretty Probably. good story. Maybe <laughs> you're not the only one. I am not the only one. <laughs> that was only three years ago. Yeah, oh. it's all in the game, right? 
Yeah, for sure. I said, if you haven't fallen off, if you're not embarrassed, you haven't barrel raced long enough. Exactly. Yeah, true. <laughs> you're not going fast enough, one or the other. <laughs> yeah. So uh, where can we find you all on social media, uh, your page, and maybe a shout out to your sponsors? Or uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about where everyone can find you. Well, I keep things pretty simple. So I just have a personal Facebook page, and that's just my name, Kim Gerwitoski. And yes, I still have trouble spelling the last name. <laughs> when I married my husband, I told him, are you sure you don't want to change to my name? Because I think yours is going to be hard to make famous. Yeah. <laughs> How do the announcers say, uh, it. say it? Yeah, I was going to ask. It, it's As soon as they start to stutter, I know it's me. So <laughs> oh, yeah. It's me too. My wide like... enough that yeah. I can yell at him. I just go, Kim Z's good enough. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I am on Instagram. I only kind of got on Instagram here not too long ago, and it's the same thing, just my name and same with Twitter. I'm still figuring Twitter out, though. Um, I do have a website, and that is k2farms.net, and I try to keep that somewhat current. The videos aren't current at the moment. But, yeah, and this year I was lucky to have um, one nice big sponsor uh, by the name of New Force Energy, and they are a full service uh, oil field company with their head office in Drayton Valley and they have another office in Red Deer and um, it's just been a great company to be affiliated with yeah and then of course Aqua Pullman they they've sponsored me for a few years now and I'm very grateful for their support because my horses love it <laughs> yeah and then uh, I do um, I'm on the classic equine team so that that's been nice I, I love my classic stuff mm-hmm. and, I love uh, my classic re- stuff too yeah, and then I've recently kind of uh, become affiliated with Ariat too. So, oh, that's, ooh, that's well. exciting! Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking your time to talk to us today. I think everyone will really enjoy all the information in here. And we also just wanted to say a huge congratulations. You guys had an amazing year. Mm-hmm. Um, finished mm-hmm. top four in the rookie standings. Elvis now has um, over a hundred and fifty thousand dollars in earnings. Um, yeah, you guys did outstanding and I can't wait to watch you guys in 2020 and me too. Yeah. We're going to be cheering you on. (laughs) Yay. It's always exciting to have fans. Elvis loves it when people watch him and are noisy. (laughs) That's good. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Yes. Well, I appreciate you girls. You guys, uh, sound like you're a great team. I'm excited for you guys and the things that you're going to create. Thank Thank you. you. Wow, you guys, that went awesome. What do you think? That was really good. So much good information. I agree. I think I learned <laughs> a lot about bits, a lot about bloodlines, um, a lot about her achievements and where she came from, mm-hmm. and a lot about Elvis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. that was interesting, I think. Like, I'm surprised that he was lazy when they first I know. <laughs> it was pretty cool. And I'm really excited to keep learning with different guests about different horses Mm. um so yeah thank you guys so much for listening to our first podcast um we can't wait to bring you guys more content make sure to follow us on instagram at horseport podcast as well as like our facebook page subscribe to this pod and as well as download our uh content and let us know what you think leave us a five-star review if you all like it And keep in mind with this holiday season and going into the new year of barrel racing, you got to get rich or ride trying.